Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Boys, we've got uh, two really good topics dialed up today. Thoughtful ones. Uh, this may not be like a barrel of, of ha-has, but uh, these are really good topics. One suggested by a listener, one suggested by you, Pipe. Um, so I'm excited to get into these. How are you boys doing? Were you good? Yeah, doing well. It uh, feels like we're, we're officially making the transition from school year to summer, which which means everything feels a little out of whack. But uh, because, yeah. you know, one of the topics we're going to talk about is kind of teeing that up. I still have kids at home, which means this, this phase in life is weird when you have to deal with them all summer long. Dude, no kidding. It is a it is a big transition and you realize you have to like curate an entire day for these people. And uh, it can be a lot. Baby, where are you? Are you back home? Yeah, back home. Um, don't have a, I mean, have a busy summer in as much as I think, you know, when you don't have kids at home, you can, you can overstack things, you know, mm-hmm. because you have a little bit of that flexibility. And so I think that's, you know, staying on point here and on topic with where we're heading. I think that's one of the, that's one of the major challenges for me and Big M for sure is just making sure that there's margin and, and we're not just running around like crazy people, you know, so there it is. Well, boys, let's take a break, and then we'll get into these topics. All right, we're back. This was a really thoughtful one that we had submitted by a listener, and it's actually one that I've been thinking about a lot lately in regards to my own parents, but also in regards to my own kids, and it's this. How do we, how do we transition from being parents of little kids to parents of adults? Um and I think the philosophy on this has kind of changed over the years. And I actually think about this one in a third way too, which is uh, I see a lot of other people's young adult kids in my job as a college professor. And this listener was looking for some advice. And I think I want to get us started. I want to just suggest one and get your guys' uh, take on it. But I, I think the main thing that I see and this was born of a conversation with my own parents recently that kind of shocked me. Um, I think it's really good if our kids can see us being imperfect and then kind of demonstrating what the gospel looks like in that. And, And I think that's a bit of a paradigm shift from our parents' generation where functionally, I think they just wanted to make us think that they were perfect. And... Even my own folks, I was I was having this talk with my mom and she was like, you know, she expressed something along those lines and it shocked me. And I was just like, you got to be kidding. Like, I know you're not perfect and I've known it for a long time, you know, but I think in that generation, there was this desire to, to sort of, um, to sort of push this idea that once you became a Christian, you were, you were this perfect person. Um, do you guys see that? Did you see it from the previous generation? How do you handle it in your own families? Uh, pipe, get us started. Yeah, I, I, I resonate a lot with what you're saying, both the generational kind of distinction there, uh, as well as, as how that set me up 
to parent, I think a little differently than my parents did. Um, I, I never got the explicit, um, expression from my parents, you know, that they were trying to set themselves up as perfect or anything like that, especially because, you know, sin and and repentance were talked about ad nauseum, uh, emphasis on nausea in our house. And, uh, (laughs) and, and so like we knew that, but there wasn't a lot of sort of the heart to heart conversations about their failings, their temptations, whatever. It was more like sin as a category, sinner as a category. But then like my parents explicitly went out of the way to never argue in front of us. Um, which Mm. there's a lot of merit in that. Like you don't want to upset the kids, that kind of thing. But also it didn't really set me up well to understand that like, oh, marriage is basically an exercise in handling compromise, disagreement, and, and, you know, multiple points of view well. And sometimes you don't handle yeah. it well. Um, so there was some of that. And then, you know, so that means I try to parent my kids in such a way that I, I'm more intentionally apologize and go out of my way to be like, hey, I lost my temper. I handled this badly. I screw up. Mm-hmm. I use my own failings from the past as conversation mm-hmm. points when I'm talking with them, be like, Hey, I understand where you're at. I used to do the same stupid thing. Yeah. Here's how that plays out. Maybe don't do that. Um, yeah. the, the flip side to this though, is that I think in, in my generation of parents, there's a sense of like, we just live life totally transparently in front of our kids and kids don't have mm-hmm. the emotional capacity to handle parents who are like, who are, who are basically acting immature in front of them. So there's this weird yeah. tension of like, you need to be more mature than your kids. You need to handle things. You need to set an example, but you also needed to set an example of honesty, of transparency, of, of confession, those kind of things. And it just feels like an exercise yeah. in, in, you know, kind of falling off one side or the other. Yeah, that's a great point. I actually just watched a movie called The Way, Way Back. Have you guys seen this? It was one of these kind of depressing uh it it was in the vein of like little miss sunshine it was basically adults acting like children and then the children having to deal with it which was kind of a a big movie conceit in like the the mid-2000s um but it was that pipe it was like what do i do when i see mom acting like a stupid teenager or you know dad's not involved or whatever It, it was yeah it's chilling so you can definitely like fall into the ditch on either side on this one big r what are your thoughts on it yeah i mean gosh i thought what pipe said was was really good you know um i don't you know these generational things are funny because it you know yeah there was a sense i think with my mom and dad where it 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 wasn't like they didn't grow up with any kind of instruction on like what piper said which was to sit down with your kids and talk about some of the different ways that maybe they overreacted or they reacted sinfully or they said mm-hmm. something that they shouldn't have said. And then to even sit there and say, I was wrong the way I treated you. Um, and I would love to ask for forgiveness. And this is, you know, models Christ in this way. I mean, I just don't think they were taught that. And I think the, um, I think the media that surrounded them, you know, as they were raising their kids in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, that, that just wasn't, that wasn't part of like the research um, that was mm-hmm. being, you know, kind of explained and taught like in that era. And now we're in an era that just says, Hey, you know what? Um, we can actually really help our kids, you know, understand what it means, uh, you know, to be more Christ-like if we're not trying to set ourselves up as these images yeah. of perfection that they at some point can, 
easily grow bitter towards because they're 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 getting a sense of um compromise and that that is never being uh that's never being explained and it's never being repented of and i think that's what happens is that then you know if that i had a harder time doing that with my daughter you know um mm-hmm. i i did it more than my parents did but it was a it was a struggle because i i didn't have a category for it my generation was just being taught to do that you know mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if you i don't you can probably relate to that big t like we that was something that was a bit of a new school idea for us that I think the generation after us has been raised with as a principle. Yeah. And yeah. so I don't know, even with my own kid, I wish I would have done that more, but you know, here we are. And I think, I think it's, um, I think it's just something that we're, we're learning more about. And I think it's something that pipe really wisely said that can be overdone too, which yeah. is like, Hey, it's just you and me, buddy. And we're, you know, we're we're just all traversing this journey, you know, <laughs> yeah. on the same path and at the same level. It's like, well, yeah. no, there is this thing called parenting that you still yeah. gotta engage in. And so yeah. there there's a the, the level of equity that exists there within those things. I mean, I think the word I'm looking for is discernment. And we yeah. just have to be discerning. Our parents are probably discerning on some things that we are missing because, you know, we don't want to be yeah. chronological snobs here. And then, you know, we're, we're doing some things that maybe they missed. And then our kids are going to bring the balance back and then miss something else. You know, so it's always a case of discernment. And what are we overcorrecting on? I think, yeah. you know, no, it's a, it's a great word. I, I mean, I think when you're a kid, there's some, there's always some sense of like up until a certain age, I do just sort of admire my parents by default. You know, they're the ones providing for me and, you know, driving me to football practice and, and they're just in your life in a really significant way. But then there has to be some sort of mechanism when someone gets into high school, certainly into college for like thinking critically about the world around them and, and kind of being invited to do that by parents. And I, and I think you know, you, you run into these evangelical families where it's like the kid says things like, well, I never, I never felt like I could ask my parents questions or I never felt like I could talk about my sin or address some certain topic. And to your point, big R like I early on, especially I probably aired too much on the side of like letting them see me be real. But I, I think those situations often led to moments where I had to be just like, look, I sinned. You guys saw me sinning. You know, a lot of it had to do with sports, embarrassingly on, on my part. Like we would go to some track meet or some football game and some parent would say something in the stands and I would say something back and my kid would hear it. And then we'd be in the van in the way home. And I, I would just have to be like, look, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, and we'd pray and I'd ask for forgiveness. And it was sort of one of those like, all right, the gospel has to be real here because I feel like a heel until I talk about this and we pray about it together. Um, so there was some of that definitely going on. Um, Pipe, what what about for you as you've like grown up in this family where the gospel was very, you know, much a talking point, and then having your own kids who are getting older now, like. They're still in the home, but they're teenagers. They're about to not be in the home. So how how do you let them see your imperfections, but also hopefully see your maturity? Uh, yeah, I think that the thing that has been sort of a dawning realization for me, kind of progressively over the last few years, is 
it took me into my 30s before I kind of <clears throat> came to a healthy understanding of my parents' sinfulness and relationship with the gospel. You know, just the fact that they're 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 a normal Christian couple in the sense that they screw up a lot yeah. and then they have to confess and mm-hmm. repent and and reconcile because because we didn't have those sort of heart to hearts growing up there was just a tension there where it's like i'm aware of my parents failings but there's not a context in which to kind of healthily and christianly address them you know they're not coming to me and yeah. saying i'm sorry for with as much regularity and freedom as probably even they would like and we've talked about this since and they my dad especially has said yeah i wish i had you know, a little bit, a little bit like what Ronnie just said. I wish I had done more of that. I wish I'd been more aware of that. And he mm-hmm. basically is just like, it was a blind spot. Like it wasn't, he wasn't defending mm-hmm. himself and being like, no, I was doing the right thing. He was like, I just didn't see the importance of it. So the realization yeah. for me has been my kids, even if they're not putting a, like a label on it, they know how much I suck. <laughs> they see yeah. me lose my temper. They see me curse at people when I'm driving, which is a thing that happens mm-hmm. all the time. They see me like just wake up grumpy and generally not exude much of the Holy Spirit. And so mm-hmm. if if I'm if they see that and I'm not talking to them about it, what kind of disparity am I creating? I'm either creating a, a, something of hypocrisy or that sort of like we don't talk about this stuff. This is off limits. Yeah. And then I go to them and talk to them about their attitude. Like that that seems problematic. Mm. You know, they're teenagers. They they have bad attitudes on occasion. And uh, so I have to be able to go to them and say, well, hey, look, I know you see this in me. Here's how I handle it. Here's how I need to repent. Here's how I need to apologize to you. Yeah. You need to do the same thing. Like, this is how a Christian responds. And And so it's, and my hope is that when they're 30, they don't have to make up a lot of ground about, you know, closing the gap relationally between them and me that that I created yeah. by blind spots. Now, again, I'm sure I have many blind spots. I'm sure they're going to come back and go, Dad, I wish you had never, or I wish you had done this more or whatever. But yeah, just mm-hmm. the, the realization that basically my honesty needs to outpace their awareness because they're progressively yeah. more aware yeah, that's of, good, of how much I stink. That's good. And so if I can stay one step yeah. ahead, then then they're not catching up to me and going hypocrite, liar, phony, whatever, those things that make kids angsty about their parents. Yeah, right. I mean, that's good. I, if, I can, if I can tag on that. Um, yeah. You know, I, having an adult daughter now, it's, what's been cool about it is you can have a, like we can, I can, you know, there'll be times where I'll have a conversation and we'll talk about things from 10 years ago, you know, and mm-hmm. they don't have to be massive triggers. Or maybe they are more than I know. I don't know. But I feel like we can talk about moments or instances or patterns that, you know, kind of existed as she was growing up and as Big M and I were raising her. And we can be honest about some of those things in a way that, again, communicates the fact that I understand that, that I was just a human being. And it's good for me to let her know that it's okay that she sees me like that and that I... I sh- carry all the same weaknesses and the same tendencies. And in mm-hmm. fact, the, the ugliness of it all is that you were influenced by, you know, uh, you know, my uglinesses and my tendencies. And now you're, you're needing to fight off some of the things that got, you know, transferred to you. I was having a talk mm-hmm. with a friend of mine and she was like, she made this comment and she was like, um, she's like about 40. And she said, um, 
I'm so disappointed right now in my parents. And mm. there, it's, that, it's that moment. And again, it happens to everybody at different times. Maybe for some people it happens when they're 20 or 10 or whatever. But yeah. there's that moment when you finally see your parents with a level of equity and they're, mm-hmm. they're not on a pedestal anymore. And you just see them and you have this moment where you go, oh, they had no clue. Like mm-hmm. they literally had no clue. They have, they had as little of clue as I did about, as I do about doing any of these things. Yeah. And then, you know, and they were just reacting to the way they were raised. And again, however horrific that was or however great that was. I mean, mm-hmm. so they're just passing things. They're transferring things to me that have been undealt with. But she made that comment and she said, I, I just, I'm just floored by some of the things they do that I'm so disappointed in and that I'm, I'm mm-hmm. seeing almost like a lack of integrity in all these areas of their life. And it just, it bums me out. But like, there's that, there's that moment where that disillusionment in a sense is, is good because if we, can, if we can use it to sort of put a mirror on our own lives, it allows us maybe to learn how to be more honest with ourselves. Again, not, not to just completely you know, toss our parents out the, out the door and just say, oh, everything, yeah. everything, everything they did was a farce. It's mm-hmm. not that. It's just to say that, gosh, we were raised by people who had no clue. We are people who have no clue. It allows there to be some humility. And when we look back, maybe we don't have to be, I mean, so hard on ourselves, right? I mean, we, we're just learning. And yeah. I think to have that kind of an attitude towards our kids and, and even have a conversation with them as adults and go, hey, man, you know... I, I'd love to do some things differently. I think here's some things we did okay. And it's just a mixed bag, dude. I mean, this yeah. is just where we're at. And it's the Lord's going to work through that somehow. You know? Yeah, that's, that's really good. And I, I think what you said is something that, like, at its best, reformedom would seek to do well, right? So reformedom, if we can paint with some broad brushstrokes here. We would, we would never I think, do such a thing, Ted. We don't ever paint with broad brushes. <laughs> I think it seeks to like look at a situation, let's say parenting, and go, how do we do this well? What does this look like when it's done well? And often that conversation devolves into a whole bunch of law, right? Like you got you to gotta read the Bible verse by verse out loud to your kids at breakfast for 30 minutes. And that's usually the end point. But the starting point was noble right? The starting point was, how do we do this well? What does it look like to do it well? What are some parameters for doing it well? So that we're not just in this morass of, well, I'm a mess and you're a mess and we'll just be a mess together, you know, which is, I think, maybe where our generation and younger generations have, you know, fallen off in the other direction. Uh, Boys, let's take a break. And then when we come back, I got one more question on this parenting thing. All right, we're back. Um, Something I hear a lot from my students is sort of the idea that they don't know how to talk to their parents and they can't talk to their parents. Um, I really want to be the kind of parent that my kids want to talk to. Um, In part because I just love talking to my kids. Like, it's fun. Uh, My oldest is 19. My youngest is 15. And wait, he's 16. Gosh, I'm a terrible parent. I don't even know how old my youngest kid is. But no, you're just, um, you're just those an are aging ages, Big T. You're just an aging parent. Ages. Yeah. 
Like I as, am an aging parent. Yeah, as you age, you're like, I don't know. I've got two or four kids, and there's some. They're they're, I they're, mean, they're exactly. of an age. 16, 17, 22, 23. Those are not significant ages necessarily. Yeah. Sometimes I call them by the cat's name. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're good. Like there's there's grace for that. You know, but yeah, I, have, um, I have two I really dogs enjoy and a talking daughter. To kids, two dogs and a daughter whose names all start with the same letter. I don't have a, oh, a chance in, in you, you don't know, have a chance anything man. of that getting was their your names fault, right. Pipe. That was your fault, buddy. <laughs> That's, That's true. It's true. The dogs came um, after the daughter. That was poor planning. Yeah. But I, I love talking to my guys. By God's grace, they seem to enjoy talking to me right now. Knock on wood. I hope, I hope that's always the case. How do we foster that? You know? Um, how do we make sure we're the kinds of parents that our, our kids want to talk to and want to relate to? Um, Pipe, do you have thoughts on that? I mean, I have I have thoughts, but again, my kids are 16 and 13, which means that only time will tell if my thoughts have any merit. You know, my mm-hmm. I've sort of had this mindset since my kids were little, especially thinking about some of the difficulties I had in learning to have a good relationship with my parents that I was like, when my kids are 25 or 28 and they don't have to come home and visit, I just I want them to. I want them to want yeah. To spend holidays with me or stop by on a road trip and be like, hey, I'm just going to spend a couple extra days and that kind of thing where, where we have that kind of relationship. So how do I, how do I foster that? So same, same kind of thing you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the two things that I try to do, and again, there, there's probably people who are so much better at this than me. One is asking them very open-ended questions like just how are you digging? I don't remember. Yeah. I remember my parents asking things like, how was, how was your day? Which yeah. for a teenager is like boring. I used you sent me to a prison called school all day. How do you think <laughs> my day was? Yeah, um, yeah. It, but not like how are you? How's you know? How are you feeling about things? How's your how's your heart? Right. Those kinds of things. And I don't mean like mm-hmm. prying into like what sins are you struggling with. That you'd hope they would right. they would come to a place. But then the other piece is is uh, answering those kinds of questions with more honesty than they would expect. You know, mm. so instead of being, you know, because my daughter will ask, how was your day at work? And my default is like, it's fine. You know, mm-hmm. good meetings, whatever. But to pause yeah. and be like, yeah, honestly, it was tough. I was exhausted. Uh, I had a frustrating conversation mm-hmm. with a coworker and I had to go back to him later and, and kind of clear some things up and apologize. And those kinds of things, I, I wish I did that more, but kind of going yeah. first in the type of honesty and openness I would like to see from them that gets easier as they get yeah. older because I know that I'm not crushing them with honesty. You know, an eight-year-old can't handle well, certain things yeah. emotionally, but a 16-year-old can be like, oh, yeah, that I, I have those kinds of days too. And, and all of a sudden, there's hopefully yeah. kind of a, a relational trust being built. Yeah, I think you're, what you're doing is gently kind of bringing her into the world of adults. And you're letting her see how your mind and your heart works and hopefully letting her see like how a mature believer deals with a rough day at work or a rough situation with a coworker or all these things that they are beginning to face and that they'll increasingly face. Um, Hopefully those conversations give us a chance to show them what maturity looks like more than just the kind of reformed, you know, here, here's a bunch of law Good, good luck with it. Um, baby, what about you on this one? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it it's just it's really to me what my experience has been with an adult kiddo is just you have to have intentionality, right? Because now you have lives that are you know, and for my daughter who lives in Chicago, you, you know, we're, we're not spending every day together. You have lives that are kind of running, you know, down different roads and I think, you know, there's difficulties with that and I think intentionality which is like we have to we have to go out of our way to make sure that we're dialoguing. And then I think the the piece attached to that is we have to go out of our way to make sure that everything doesn't devolve into hey what's up yeah and it's it's just like almost like hey we're just let's just get it out of the way that we're asking each other how we're doing and it never yeah. really dips beneath the surface it doesn't mean that we got to get into you know hard things mm-hmm. or you know stuff that you're always just you know oh my gosh pops i mean do do we always got to get into you know all of this real tedious emotional you know, drama, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. influence dialogue. And it's like, no, not at all. But I would, but I would love to, and I think even to say it like this, like, Hey, I, I want to hear how your day at work was. I want to hear how the weekend was. I know you guys did something fun, but I also want to talk a little bit about like what's going on. And I, and I know you were, we're dealing with this situation and, and you know, how, you know, how are mm-hmm. you coming out the other end of it with, and just anything that I think allows them to know that you actually care about their soul a little mm-hmm. bit and um and you know i have an you know we have an interesting relationship with our kiddo and so you know as they get older you know there there's a there's a different kind of uh i don't know this is probably the wrong way of saying it but i mean there's a different kind of uh, respect level that yeah. comes into the relationship because there is more equity they're adults you don't mm-hmm. get to tell them what to do and you got to respect how they feel about certain things how they live their life in certain ways and mm-hmm. so you're always trying to like you're you're always you're grasping for those things that you have commonality with, yeah. And um and and there and there can be and there always are things, um. But at the same time, you don't want it to just be surface things. I think that's the challenge for yeah. me. That I'm I'm figuring yeah. one, out one thing that Ronnie yeah just definitely said, that one thing that Ronnie just said that really struck me was thinking about. So I think Ronnie, I think your daughter is about ten, eleven years older than my oldest daughter. Like your daughter's mid twenties, my yeah. daughter's mid teens. Yeah. Right now with a 16-year-old in the house, if there's something about her lifestyle that I think ought to be different, it's, it feels like my responsibility to kind of coach her through changing that. You know, this habit, yeah. this way you talk, this whatever that I'm like, that's that's not okay. Let's, let's work on that. Mm-hmm. Having observed my parents and then listening to what you just said, when your child is an independent adult, it's no longer your job to coach them through the changes. And, and that actually can break a relationship with a kid. Like I had to have conversations with my parents where I was like, this is how I'm living my life. Even if I'm wrong, like Mm -hmm. get out of my business because the more you harp on it, the less I want to talk to you. I already know where you stand Mm. on this. And so that shift, I'm just imagining six, seven years down the road, having to, to release that and be like, I am no longer responsible for her decisions. I'm responsible for yeah, it's caring, really difficult. for praying, for being open yeah. for advice, but not like, I wish you wouldn't do that. That's not a good way to handle your money, whatever. That shift. Yeah. yeah and I really think that's, hard. I mean, it's a massive, it's a really difficult shift. I think it takes, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. I think I'm still dealing with it. Um, I think that, you know, what you said about advice is key. And I, and I think that's, that's what it, that's what the the relationship has to transform into. It's like, hey, I'm here. I'm not here to tell you what to do. 
um, because that's not my role anymore. But I, but I am here for if you need any advice or you need to tap into whatever limited wisdom I have only because I've been alive on the planet twice as long as you have. That doesn't mean I know more than you about every single thing. It does mean that I've experienced some things that maybe you haven't that you're entering into that I can, if you're, if you want to listen, I might have something to say about it. At the same time, you know, you can, you still have the ability to to do it however you want to do it, but it's a relinquishment of control. And that is just hard for parents. You know, I don't, I don't control, you know, I don't control my daughter, even in the good way that like pipe, you have control over the direction that your daughters are taking in their lives right now, because they're still minors and that's your job. And at some point you don't, you literally lose that overnight, literally overnight. (laughs) And it's like, well, how do I, how do I shift? How do, how do I change? And it's like, it's not a bad change by the way, because it takes some of the stress off of you as a parent, right? Because there's a lot of stress when Mm -hmm. not only are you directing your own life, but you have these, these, uh, you know, these people you helped create and you're directing their life. So it's just, I don't know. The whole thing is, is complex and we need God's grace and it's incredibly hard. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's it's incredibly fun too, though. And and something you said, pipe, like shocked me and challenged me. Like the the idea of you kind of confronting your parents and saying, "Get off my back about this thing or that thing." Like I've literally never done that, and I can't imagine doing it. But I've like I've dreamed of doing it. You know what I mean? Um, but like oh, you, it, it gave me ulcers. Be- like this, this was not a. This wasn't like a a, a, a a fit of rage. This was like me trying to think as an adult yeah. and go, what kind of, what are yeah. the appropriate boundaries, sort of thing. And like I, it was like I was having fits leading up to it because you know yeah. looking my parents I in the face it. and being like, you you can't tell me what to do anymore. And they, to yeah. be fair, they were very gracious and they were very much like, oh okay, like it was kind of a realization for them, like okay, you you are grown. And we will we'll yeah. try to honor that. And they've done a really great job. It was, it was a pretty significant thing for us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was not like a flippant, uh, we're not going to talk about that. It was, I had, yeah. I had like knots in my stomach about that kind of conversation as a, you know, it happened two or three times about different things, you know, in my 20s and even in, in my early 30s and things like that. Yeah, no, I know. And yeah, you don't want to be in a place where you're stacking a whole bunch of, we're not going to talk about that things. Uh, cause that just gets harder and harder the older you get. I, I think one last thing on this for me is as they get older, like really looking for ways to connect and shared interests and like my oldest son, he's 19. He's kind of a bro's bro. He's an athlete. Um, but he and my wife really connect on food. Like they both really love like preparing food and recipes and, kitchen stuff and it's really kind of cool to see them connect over that and he and i have a whole bunch of shared interests and things we love doing and you know like smoking cigars together has become like the hour of relaxed conversation that we look forward to when we're together and um it's just fun but i think the older they get and the more you realize that they are a little bit different from you um you got to be willing maybe to try some new things or look into some things that, that you might not have, you know, thought would be a natural fit, um, as a, as a means of getting to know them. Um, this has been good boys. Let's take a quick break. 
And then we'll come back and get into this last topic. All right, we're back. Um, this one pipe, I think, was one of yours. Um, here it is. I want to talk about when it's good for a church or denomination to go away. And immediately I was like, ooh, that's risky. Uh, maybe we shouldn't talk about that. And I'm sure there are people that want to see us, you know, do the angry Twitter thing and start trashing a very specific denomination with this, which we can't do for reasons uh, pragmatic for me and and just it's bad discourse in general. Uh, but I think it's a worthwhile topic pipe. And I, I, I think for me, so like we're, we're rewatching the Godfather movies and they're really interesting. They're really interesting on the level of interpersonal dynamics within organizations. And I think every stage of life that you watch a Godfather movie in, your response to it is a little bit different. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm looking at it now through the lens of, I work for this little Christian college that's kind of its own bigger, small business. And I'm seeing a whole bunch of these dynamics. I think anytime an organization that's Christian becomes more about just making sure people still get their paychecks and making sure we're protecting, you know, cash flow and some kind of organizational structure, I think it's, it's probably a, a bad move. I think we're called to something higher than that. But Pipe, what were you thinking when you suggested this? It was it was kind of a categorical question. Obviously, it was sparked by recent things in the news about the Southern Baptist Convention, and we're we're not going to get into all that. Like that's mm-hmm. a it's ongoing. B it's a disaster. Yeah, and the the layers of it. And I, I you know I want to respect the people who were hurt by it. Um, so I'm thinking mm-hmm. more categorically. You know, in the last. 10 years we've seen countless pastoral failings at at super mega churches we've seen you know the catholic church has gone through what they've gone through the sbc is going through this uh there's been accusations in a variety of denominations denominational splits all this stuff you know so organizational mm-hmm. christian religion kind of bringing out the worst or having the worst revealed about it and so the question is basically yeah. like when this isn't a question about organized religion. It's a question about when is it healthier for a church or a denomination to just shut its doors than to try to keep redeeming what has been like where the well is poisoned. Like when do you stop trying to clean the poisoned well and you're just like, let's just put a cap on that and dig a different well somewhere else. Yeah. Great question. Big R thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, I, I do have, I do have, uh, I do have the answers here. Oh, boys. great. Uh, Perfect. I, 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 I knew you were the right it. man for this. I fixed it in my mind. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to listen, but it's yeah. all been fixed up here in, in Big R's head oh, for great. years now. Yeah. I, dude, I don't know. You know, there's, I, I was talking to Big M about this, ironically enough, Pipe, a couple days ago, you know, when all this stuff was breaking and, you know, I always think gosh, there's going to be, you know, whenever there's an institution or an organization where there's all kinds of trouble, um, you know, and we're narrowing down on it and, um, and, you know, some really good and healthy things are going to come out of it. Um, as well as, you know, a lot of, a lot of 
pain and a, you know a lot of trauma that's going to be exposed from it. But I, there's always a thing where you go, okay, I know there's going to be an ex, a mass exodus. Some people are going to feel like I can't be a part of this anymore. My conscience doesn't let, allow me to do that. I'm a church. I have an elder team, and they're saying, hey, we, we need to move on. We need to go. And then there's that other side of it. And, and again, you have to respect that, and you have to say, okay. Um, again, there's, there's, there's nothing in Scripture that says, hey, stay with an organization until you die. You know, mm-hmm. um, So you can leave an organization, right? I mean, that, that's, that's okay um, if that's where you're at convictionally. <clears throat> and then I think there's, these other, there's this other mindset that says, well, you know, um, there are people that still exist within this organization that are doing good work, that are fighting for truth, that are staying true to the gospel. And can there be any kind of reform or can I be part of something that helps reform something that can be, uh, you know, that, that can be redeemed? And I, I think it's just it's it's almost really just, I think, a matter of personal conviction, you know, in those things, because I think some people are going to stick around in some of these organizations and maybe you know, you're going to see years and years from now because they did and because they fought a really hard fight. Um, you see some turnaround to where, you know, said institution now is, um, is, has been so transformed that they're, that they're actually on the front lines of doing the work that they were accused of neglecting in the past. I think that can be a good thing, but it's, that's not for everybody. And so I don't really, I, you know, I'm having these conversations with pastors right now that are, that are kind of, kind of in this, a moment of needing to make a decision and that's the best thing that I can offer them in terms of any kind of advice is that really is like a personal decision but you got to you got to ask yourself like what man, what is happening in your heart and what is stirring in your heart if it's going to be something that is just going to be a constant fight and create just a sense of crisis and chaos you probably need to go you know and maybe you're in a position of influence to where staying you could do some good if you have the kind of, um, you know, I think resilience that will allow you to do it without crumbling. I think that's the best I got. And I don't I, know if that's right. I but, think that's it. Know. So I think your perspective is, is fascinating because it's very, you're looking very much at the people in the organization, kind of a shepherding this through these difficulties in, in what, you know, church. I'm looking at it from a leader's standpoint. Yeah. So I should probably have qualified so, that. I'm, Cause that, that's how I took the question is from like, right. if you're a leader within the organization, yeah. the, the, the flip side of what you're saying though. And I think this, this is a, I mean, when you start taking all the factors into account, it gets really complicated. Cause I think what you're saying is right. The flip side though, is what is the cost to the outside? So if you are in a church or denomination that has earned such a reputation for something you know, disreputable, you know, whether it's, you know, bullying in the leadership or an unhealthy culture or cultic practices or sexual abuse, like all of these things are anti-gospel. And so from the outside, people are looking and they come in and they're like, wait, are you part of this organization? Oh, I would never visit that church. That church has yeah. these kind of leaders. Like yeah. what is the cost to the reputation of Jesus Christ? I think is the question that I, and I don't, mm. I don't totally know how to answer it. But that's where, that's where the question really came from for me, because I, you know, I have friends who have been at these churches in these denominations, kind of across the board. Choosing to stay is one question. Choosing to, like, I can't be part of something that has left a stain on the reputation of of Christ's church is a whole other thing. That's where, that's where my mind goes is like it. And again, it's a matter of conscience in a sense, but also 
there there is there is the potential for great damage to be done to what you know to christianity and and so that i think yeah. that's where that's where i'm that's where my mind goes there's the shepherding of the people in the thing and then there's the what is the cost to those who are looking at this from the outside i i think what you're speaking to though pipe is there has to be fidelity to something higher than an organization or even just a guy that you've known for 20 years, you know, and and so often these things end up running like businesses or like the Godfather where, you know, I've, I've known this person for 30 years, so I'm going to look the other way or whatever. And, you know, I, I think Christianity calls us to be something other than pragmatic sometimes, you know, and when we lose sight of that, um, and we let pragmatism kind of, you know, steer the ship, then it's, it's easy to go wrong there. And you see it in all kinds of organizations, not just churches. You see it in Christian colleges or, you know, parachurch organizations or whatever, where, you know, you get 30, 40, 50 years down the road and you realize this is mostly about just getting a whole bunch of people paid and continuing to pay them. And it's less about, fidelity to Christ, fidelity to scripture, etc. Um so how do you have and, and we're really dealing in abstractions now with this question, but how how do you have an organization that's ostensibly successful that doesn't devolve into that eventually? You know what I'm saying? And either of you yeah. can address that. I mean that. That, that's the, I mean <laughs> I mean that yeah that is such a deep that is such a deep and layered question because when yeah. an organization grows to I think a capacity where you, you know it's almost like it's almost it's almost like um it, it's almost like something that that spirals out of control due to uh you know size and theological differences and uh you know ecclesiological differences and mm. You know, I mean, you got something that is not is is like a global movement, and yeah. now you have you know the you have the uh, the creation of factions, and so it's and you know it's um it's something that I think you know how how do you set up a structure where there is a particular level of accountability to where um you know you can you can somehow you know kind of close the door of anything you know unhelpful abusive unhealthy creeping in i i mean i don't know that you it i don't know that you can you know i mean i is yeah. there is, is there are there like things in place that that can be there to prevent it it's like yeah but there's also sin in place that does everything it can to to not prevent it you know and man that that is yeah. such a difficult especially with something as big as some of these organizations like are, you know, I mean, so I'm part of a, I'm part of a denomination that is, that is, that is so much smaller. It doesn't mean that any of this stuff can't, doesn't, isn't creeping in, but it's definitely, it's, it's definitely harder to hide in some ways. Right. Because yeah. there's a sense where everything is a little more visible because it's smaller. Um, but I don't, gosh, I don't know. I'm sure Pipe has the, uh, sure Pipe has the answer on this. I think one. part of this yeah. though is baked into like the kinds of people who end up leading things. Well, that's true too. Like even, yeah. even with Harbor Network or whatever, as an example, you're not getting together every other month for a retreat and saying, let's keep this thing really small. You know what I mean? It's always some like yeah. 
charismatic, dreamy, vision-casting guy who's like, we could do this, and we could do this, and he's writing on glass and drawing arrows. And, like, people enjoy listening to that person who is usually a certain type of type A person who wants to grow things and get bigger. And that's not always bad, but it, it, it can be. You know? Well, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. When, the, when an institution or an organization, like when that becomes the thing that takes precedence over the people, that becomes yeah. the thing that needs to be protected before the people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you just like that. That's the ultimate shark that's been jumped at that point to where it's like, yeah. no, most important thing is that this is preserved. It doesn't matter what the casualties are. You know, yeah. and it's like at that point, I mean, the, I mean, the plot has been lost because now you I mean, you have that's what you have now or you have victims, you have casualties, because if mm-hmm. all that matters is that this institution stays floating and alive and, yeah. you know, uh, stays, you know, um, stays in the black, you know, yeah. um, man, I, I mean, it's that's it. We're de- you're dead already. Yeah. Pipe, put a fine point on this for us. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I think in in the in the fallen world in which we live there is an inevitable there is an inevitable opening for failing sin kind of and even even sort of a systemic cultural drift the bigger an organization gets. You know, and it, yeah. it that I think that's just across the board because even if the center remains strong, the people who are the the driving leaders, there's just there's greater distance from the fringes, and that's where factions can start. And and that especially in a church, like if six people in a church of a thousand really hate something about the church, they can split the church. Um, you mm. know, and they and they're they're fringy. You know, if there's six people at the center, yeah. that's a whole different issue. So I think that's a piece of it. I think the thing that stands out in my mind is, and, and you touched on it with the sort of certain type of leader. Now, being an A-type driven visionary mm-hmm. leader is not a character flaw. We associate it with a certain right. kind of ego, though. And I think that's the, that's mm-hmm. off, that, I mean, that's, that's the heart of the problem most of the time is a lack of humility. Because humility is what leads to con- mm. confession, repentance, being corrected, if somebody comes and says, I experienced this kind of abuse within this denomination, or um, I was mistreated by this leader, or I'm aware of financial misdealings or whatever, to say, we take you seriously. You know, we're not going to shut you down to kind of gloss over the image of this thing. And then you bear the consequences of it. We're going to walk this thing out to the end. Mm-hmm. See, see what is true of this. We're going to do an investigation with et cetera. It, but but it takes humility to say we could be wrong, to say that could have happened in our mm-hmm. organization, <clears throat> and and to keep the books open, both the books of character, you know, my life is an open book, and the, the you know the financial books, like hey, we're not we're not trying to we're right. not trying to build our own empire here. But humility almost always has a ceiling on it. If you are a truly humble person, the odds of you being you know a a world-class leader by, by the world standards, you know, a, a great, great in politics, yeah. great in, in a huge church, whatever are really slim because, because mm. that's not who gets to the front of the line. And, and so I think, I think there's just an inevitable tension between I want to lead something big and, 
I'm a humble follower of Jesus Christ. Not that humility can't mesh yeah. with ambition, but Satan takes advantage of it. And so what, yeah. what I see across the board in all of these denominational church, religious organizations, you know, that, that are, that are um, parachurch and so forth, all the failings started with a profound pride that closed the doors off to outside input, outside advice, confession mm. of sin, willingness yeah. to take correction. And, and then once you close that off, everything inside there just becomes insidious. Mm. That's a, a really good word. And it, it occurs to me that in both things that we've talked about this morning, humility really is at the heart of getting it to work right. Um, you know, both parenting and being a part of any organization, but especially a, a church or a denom or whatever. Uh, boys, this has been really good. We've uh, we've done what we always do in this program, which is wander to and fro throughout a couple of really thoughtful topics. And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. 